Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We are back because the Titans traded for Julio Jones. We said last week that uh, we were going to be taking the summer off and that we would come back to you shortly before training camp, but we threw in the little addenda addendum that uh we would come back for an emergency episode if the titans were to trade for julio jones they did sending the atlanta falcons a 2022 second round pick and a 2023 fourth round pick in exchange for wide receiver julio jones and a 2023 sixth round draft pick where were you guys when you heard the news? Uh, I was working, but I worked from home, so I was home. Uh, and it wasn't early. I don't know. It was like 11.30, I think, uh, Eastern time. Uh, it was nice, nice, uh, nice way, nice way to get the day started, to be honest. I was pretty pumped. Uh, I know I've been probably sour on the trade even happening uh, or how much we were going to give up in the trade but when I saw Julio Jones is going to the Titans I was pumped like he's Julio Jones still and I know he's getting older but if we get you know very good Julio Jones this could be the type of move that makes the Titans a legit Super Bowl contender uh, and I think I could depending on, on a couple of other things uh, 
are one of the teams uh, that gets a player of this magnitude, a, a player with the name rec- recognition and the talent of a Julio Jones, because it really wasn't that long ago that the Titans were never in any of these rumors. They were never in any of these conversations. Uh, and they pretty much weren't because they just weren't good. And it made no sense to, to go for these types of players. But now they're in a position where pretty much every season getting a player of this magnitude could be the difference between nine and seven and the Super Bowl. And it's awesome that they finally arrived uh, to this to this, you know, place within the franchise. Uh, and it's awesome because we've been through some pretty terrible seasons in the past. Yeah, I mean, I was in church and I was getting out of Sunday school and I had my phone on, you know, do not disturb or whatever. And I just happened to look down and check it and see the alert like two minutes after it happened. And then a DM from Matthias. So it, it was very weird because, you know, I, I had said all throughout last week that I thought Thursday was going to be the day. And then Thursday came and went nothing. And then Friday, all we heard was there's no real motivation to get this deal done before training camp. Like it, like it has to be done by then. We could be spending the next 50 days, you know, talking about where he may end up. And unless somebody gets hurt, there's not going to be any emotion. I heard it over and over and over how cap stuff for the Titans would have to come first if they were going to make any moves, all these things. So I wasn't expecting it at all, especially not on a Sunday, like maybe on a Friday or Saturday. But, you know, Sunday mid-morning, you get out of church and you look down at your phone. You're like, oh, okay, well, I have to process it. And one of the things that made it so weird is that it kind of came in in waves, like the information where it was a deal is expected to be done in the next 24 to 48 hours. Uh, And then after that, it was uh, the deal is going to be at least a second round pick. And then there was this rumor that it was going to involve a player, but it turns out it was just a late pick swap. And, you know, it was just all this different stuff coming in at different times. So it it was definitely strange, but the timing probably was the weirdest thing to me. Yes. So I also found out while I was at church, someone came up to me and told me, and I like double checked to make sure it wasn't Barry McCockner or something like that. Uh, and it wasn't. Uh, it was. It was the actual Bleacher Report account where I first saw it. And I, I think the reason I I was double checked when he was like, "Hey, the Titans just got Julio," is, is like you said. Well, I, I didn't. I, I thought it'd be a little while longer. Someone asked me last week how long I thought it would be, and I gave it two weeks. So we only got a few days into that that span. Um, but yeah, I mean. People kept asking me, like, what do you think? Is it a good move? I'm like, duh! <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it's a good move. And, and I made the comment earlier, I was doing a radio interview, and I said, you know, all of you know who listen to this podcast, that I am the farthest person from a cheerleader for the Titans. I hold, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't like to say I'm critical. I like to say that I hold the Titans to a high standard. I hold everyone to a high standard. Which is, which is true. Um, but I'm getting out the pom-poms for this, man. Like, this is really, really good. And we're going to get into all the reasons why this is fantastic. I mean, there's there's several of them. But, yes, this was a good move. The compensation is uh, worth what, what they're going to presumably get. And that's Julio Jones. 
Yeah, I mean, my biggest reservation for trading for Julio Jones was really the, the draft capital uh, and the potential for, you know, injury because he's 32 years old and he had dealt with a hamstring injury uh, for all of last season. But the Titans just didn't give him that much. Like, a first-round pick, I think, would have been lofty. But a second-round pick that's probably going to be in... What, what, what was the Titans... Second round pick this year, like fifty something, or it's probably going to be uh, high. F- yeah, okay, it's probably going to be high fifties this year if the Titans are as good as, as we're hoping they will be. Uh, and, and I mean, that's a fine pick, but it, it's very hit or miss in terms of whether you're going to get a, a real contributor at that pick. And then the fourth round, we know John Robinson hates fourth rounders. Uh, we've talked about in the past that he doesn't. He always seems to like trade away from it. Uh, and doesn't really care to draft people with, with in that round for whatever reason. Uh, and he's had some success with uh, sixth, sixth, sixth rounders in the past. Uh, and we got that back from the Falcons. So overall, I mean, the trade value is there. I think I don't think they gave up a lot, uh, and, and I don't think they wagered a lot of the future in order to get Julio Jones. And like I said, with the injury thing, like that was my really my only caveat with, with trading for him because it's possible that his body will start breaking down soon. But when he was on the field last year, like he was super productive. He was still a top five, top 10 receiver in the NFL. Uh, every, anyone who saw him uh, will attest to that. And, and the numbers back it up also. So if he's healthy and he's on the field, he's going to produce. And especially when he has A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry to take off some attention off of him. He did have that with Calvin Ridley last year, uh, but I would say A.J. Brown is probably slightly more talented than Calvin Ridley, and there was just no running game in Atlanta that had to take any of the attention away from Julio Jones. So this is just a win-win all around. Uh, Let me say this about the compensation real quick. I was listening to Pat McAfee today, and he made the point that his team did a little bit of research, and there's about a 2% chance with each second-round pick that you draft a Hall of Famer. One in 50, basically. And this will be, what, the third Hall of Famer that the Titans have gotten in the second round in Robinson's era? Because you have Henry, him, and then A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown is not going to be a Hall of Famer. I will give you the other two. Uh, I, history says... Uh, we're not having that debate right yeah. now. We're not, this is not he's the time. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to have that debate. I will say that history does say that anybody who starts out with 2,000-yard receiving seasons ends up in the Hall of Fame. Or oh, no, that comes at the very least several All-Pros. But we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that later. But the point is, like, Robinson did hit one for sure. I mean, I think we all agree that Derrick Henry is probably Hall of Fame. Like He's on track, certainly. Yeah. So, you know, and then you get Julio Jones. So that's, that's a pretty good use of your second-round picks. The compensation thing is weird. So we talk a lot about, you know, they gave up a second-round pick and how well Robinson's done in second rounds, and, and that's true. But there's this weird disconnect between what a second-round pick is is valued at in June versus what it's valued at in April. Yeah, because like in, in June, April, in June we people think it's really like, don't seem to care. 
I mean, in June, we think it's like some spectacular thing, and then in April, it turns out yeah. to be like Harold Landry. Okay, now you're just trying to piss me off, which is fine. <laughs> uh, but uh, hey, I, I'm not. I'm not going to take that bait because I've got a bigger point to make. Uh, so yeah, so there's this weird disconnect with the value of, you know, would you trade a second round pick to move up from 22 to 15? And it's like everybody at the time is like, yeah, you know, go get your guy. This guy falls, and inevitably that guy falls, and the Titans pass on him or somebody else passes on him or whatever. And fans are mad, but it's, it, it's just weird. I don't understand where it comes from because like I said, two months ago, if you would have said, okay. And by the, by the way, we should talk about the timing of this trade too, which apparently the conversation started with the Falcons and Titans four or five days before the draft. So this was something that Robinson was I, I don't know if he was planning on it, but it was one of the main options he had, which explains what they did at wide receiver in the draft. And it also explains why after the draft, he had that post-draft press conference where he talked about now he was willing to, you know, change structures of contracts and, you know, do all this when for months this offseason, he basically said, you don't want to push any money back because then you have to worry about what happens if this I don't know if he called it a recession of cap space or whatever, but he's he basically said if the cap doesn't go up the way we're thinking and you push all your cap to later, then you're in trouble, which you, we can debate whether that's true or not. But he definitely came out of the draft saying different things than he went in with. So that all makes sense. But just in terms of the compensation, a, a second round pick for Julio Jones, I mean, that's it, it's it's nothing because you also have to remember that after this year, like let's, we know they're going to eat the contract for this year unless they do some sort of restructure. Who knows? But right now, it looks like they're going to eat that cap this year. And after that, in 2022 and 2023, he's got two million dollars guaranteed in 2022, and then no money guaranteed in 2023. So if they want to move on from him, they can. Not only that, they could trade him, and his he would have a very cheap contract if somebody wanted to trade him. But the much more likely scenario is they have one of the best wide receiver two slash co-wide receiver ones in the NFL, and they're only paying him $11 million a year. So if they can just make it through this year, he goes from being somebody with all this you know, cap space that they have to account for to somebody who's a great bargain and a veteran leader. So it's weird. I hope that we see that shift in mentality from, you know, national media people and, and I guess some local people sooner rather than later. But it, it just doesn't make sense to me why anybody would complain about this move right now. Yeah. It, another thing about the compensation, I think people see second round pick and they think that's a very valuable pick. It can be. But the Titans' second-round pick is, like I said, is probably going to be in the high 50s. It's not going to be, like, within the first couple of picks of the second round. Those are very valuable picks. I mean, you go ahead and look at last year's draft. Yeah, it, at the start of the second round, you could have gotten T. Higgins, DeAndre Swift. Those are really talented players. But then you go you go down to, to the high 50s, you're looking at Van Jefferson, A.J. Dillon, Willie Gay. Like, these, these are players that just aren't that great and you're really not giving up that much by giving up that late second round pick even though 
you see second rounder and you're like, oh, that's a little too much, but it's really not at all. Before we get into the impact on the entire offense and the whole variety, you know, dealing with A.J. Brown and Julio and Derrick Henry, I want to talk about what this does for the receiving core because we were having the conversation last week about, you know, basically having to – if you like the Titans receiving courts because you've convinced yourself that they're good. Like, I made that comment. I'm like, I'm, I'm starting to hate them less because it was slated to be A.J. Brown, Josh Reynolds, and then Des Fitzpatrick, the rookie fourth-round draft pick, was was probably in all likelihood going to be the number three guy. And then you have Nick Westbrook-Akina and Cam Batson and some combination beyond that. Now, the Titans are in a position where – Instead of us sitting here saying, well, they revamped the whole defense, but man, they, they lost that receiving talent. They lost Corey Davis. They lost Johnny Smith. They're, they're not as good on offense. Now we sit here and say, oh my goodness, they're better on offense than they were last year. And they revamped the defense. Because Corey Davis and Johnny Smith, both good players, but I take one Julio Jones over the two of them any day. And, and I take my chances with Julio Jones and Anthony Ferkser more than I would with Corey Davis and John o. Smith. Additionally, Josh Reynolds goes from a shake your head where you kind of go, mm, number two receiver to a, hey, number three receiver, right? I think he's a good option as a third receiver, about as good as you're going to find. I think he's better than Adam Humphreys because Adam Humphreys was slot exclusive and never played. You're going to get some good production out of Josh Reynolds. And as many people have pointed out, all three of those guys, Brown, Jones, and Reynolds, can play all three positions. So you're going to have a very versatile offense. And quite frankly, if it's up to me, A.J. Brown's my slot guy. Like, I'm putting Reynolds and uh, Julio on the outside, and we're rolling with A.J. Brown in the slot, baby. Like, how awesome is this receiving core now, right? It's crazy what one Pro Bowl receiver can do for the overall look of of the wide receiver room. It it really just is that way because we even talked about it on the the podcast last week. I was saying I do not like this receiver group at all. Like I thought Josh Reynolds was an okay wide receiver two, uh, more of a wide receiver three. But I'm, I was skeptical about Des Fitzpatrick and his first-year contributions. I don't like Cam Batson. Nick Westbrook-Akeen is really just a special teamer slash, you know, like wide receiver five or six. But you put in Julio Jones and everyone kind of just, just slides into their role, like what their role is supposed to be. Like Josh Reynolds should be a wide receiver three. Des Fitzpatrick should be a wide receiver four. And then Batson and Nick Westbrook-Akeen should be – Wide receiver five and six, or Racy McMath can be one of those developmental guys who who might get uh, some run if he starts developing a little bit. And it's just it just looks so much better, and it allows for margin for error, and it allows for if injuries happen, you're not going to be just completely decimated uh, in terms of wide receiver depth, which is something we saw at the end of last season, particularly in the Ravens game. Uh, and it might have been what actually cost the Titans that Ravens game. So I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm feeling good about the receiver depth now, uh, even though Julio uh, missed a lot of games last year, and it's possible that he misses some games this year. I feel confident enough in Josh Reynolds to step in as that wide receiver too. 
Uh, and I feel hopefully confident enough in Fitzpatrick to be that wide receiver three if injuries do hit. Yeah, and, and you'll both kind of touch on something that's interesting, which is uh, the versatility in the wide receiver room and all that. I, I don't know if I'd say I put A.J. Brown in the slot, not because he can't do it, but just because when you have a guy that's dominating on the outside like that and can make the tough catches on the sideline that you trust, like think about the Buffalo touchdown he caught uh, like in his first game back after being hurt. Then there's the – I mean – the one-handed uh, flea flicker play against Jacksonville, and then he had the touchdown against Baltimore in the playoffs. Like, it's really hard to find guys who can win like that on the sideline. So I, I would have a hard time taking him off. But, I mean, really, it, it, it's maybe the only combination of which wide receivers that make it a fair argument. Because you could argue, okay, if, they, if this defense is bound and determined to put this guy in the slot, we're just going to line up let's say Reynolds, we're going to line him up wide, wide left, like outside of the hashes, put uh, A.J. Brown close to him and give him a whole bunch of space where he's working against this guy on slant routes and then just toast him like that. Like a smart offensive coordinator can use spacing to kind of abuse any defensive coordinator who wants to play it like that. So, I mean, you've got the argument for all those guys. I, I think like Matias said about this, the fact that if one of these guys goes down, you can basically roll next man up and say, like, okay, you're not stuck with an Adam Humphreys, who I think was a good slot receiver, but, I mean, he just wasn't going to play on the boundary. Like, that wasn't that was never going to be his job, which is why Nick Westbrook-Akina and Cleve uh, Raymond and Batson, why they all got so much run last year is because they had to have guys that played on the outside. And so... I, I don't know. Like, I'm trying not to overhype this wide receiver core, but you potentially have a floor of two Pro Bowl players and then somebody in Josh Reynolds, who I like a lot. Like, I, I mean, I wrote, I went through and broke down the analytics and said, like, look, this is his yards per target. This is the offense he was in. This is the gif- difference that Corey Davis got when they switched from Mariota to Tannehill and how close Mariota was to golf in terms of their, you know, quarterback rating and accuracy and all that kind of stuff. And I basically said that the numbers all say that if you put Josh Reynolds in a Corey Davis role, he should have Corey Davis production or something close to that. Well, now they're putting Julio Jones in that role and they're putting uh, Josh Reynolds inside in a position where if they just want to run slot fades with Josh Reynolds as your six, three slot receiver and have him just take off down while you have two guys running slants, I mean, that's going to be really hard to stop. So, I mean, this is probably the most talented top three wide receivers that Tennessee has ever had, even when you go back to the Oilers. So, I mean, it's just very impressive. It is interesting, too. It is interesting, too. I was listening to OutKick 360 earlier today, and they were making the point that forever we talked about the Titans haven't had a receiver since Derek Mason, and he's really the only one they've ever had. And oh, this franchise has gone 20 years and only has had one real receiver, and he wasn't even there for his whole career and all this stuff. And now they're sitting here with Julio Jones and A.J. Brown, an embarrassment of riches. And, you know, the, the, the biggest takeaway from all of this is, of course, what it does to defenses, the whole pick-your-poison thing, right? That's been everybody's favorite phrase. I was just listening to something that, that Jim Rome uh, put out today. He, he was absolutely right talking about how disastrous this is going to be for defenses facing the Titans. 
because, and I wrote about this a little bit in, in sort of my quick instant reaction blog, is that you can't double Julio or AJ because then you lose resources to cover the other one. And, oh, by the way, if you double one of them, you take someone out of the box for Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry, who faced more eight-man boxes in the league in 2020 than anyone else and still ran for 2,000 yards. So Derrick Henry, who ran for 2,000 yards, is going to have it even easier this year because he's not going to see loaded boxes. Because if you load the box and, and you have anyone other than like Jalen Ramsey and Marcus Peters as your cornerbacks you're going to get destroyed on the perimeter or in the slot. Like, this is truly exciting. Like, Matias, you, you said yesterday in our DMs, you were like, I'm excited for the season now. And I cannot wait for that Cardinals game. Man, and we I talked about it last week. I haven't been in that stadium in a long time. I was already excited to get back in and, and watch a game and be with people and, and take the mask off and be in a full stadium, you know. I mean, intensity meter just got cranked up to 10. This is going to be so much fun, and we have the potential, guys, I think, to be watching one of the best offenses in NFL history. And I don't say that lightly. I don't think that's hyperbolic at all. It's not. It sounds like it, but it's not because they've been one of the most efficient offenses in the NFL for the last two seasons. Uh, and last season, they were just they were insane. They were just held back by a historically bad defense. And you add to that Julio Jones, and we really didn't lose that much. I mean, we upgraded right tackle potentially if Radunz is uh, is possibly more talented than Dennis Kelly. Uh, we return all the other starters on the offensive line. Yeah, we lost Johnny Smith, uh, but he was injured very often, and he really didn't take the next step like we were expecting. Uh, and Furcher has been incredibly efficient as a pass catcher uh when he's been out there and 60 with him less given, yards than Johnu last year yeah yeah and given a bigger role i would love to see how he's gonna do like this this julio signing trade whatever transaction it just helps everyone like it helps aj brown because he's not gonna have he's not gonna be doubled all the time like might have happened if we another receiver going to help Josh Reynolds find some more spaces in the middle of the field. It's going to help for sure find more space in the middle of the field. It might help Darrington Evans on some of these swing routes out of the backfield. Some of these angle routes out of the backfield. Like this is, this could be, this could be huge for the entire offense. And like people have talked about it, but Ryan Tannehill, his best strength is hitting the middle of the field, particularly after play action. A.J. Brown is awesome in the intermediate area. So is Julio Jones. So is Ferkser. Potentially so is Darrington Evans. And Josh Reynolds is really good at it, too. Like, this offense should be a well-oiled machine, and this should be a top-five offense in the NFL. And I think they will be. I don't know if Todd Downing is going to make too many schematic changes, but adding a guy like Julio Jones just makes his job easier, and he really doesn't have to oversimplify anything. And just to touch on Ferkser, because I've always been a big Ferkser stand, it, that the, I, I don't know if we'd call it the total production or the efficiency or whatever, but if you look at that playoff game, which doesn't lump into the stats from the 2020 season, 
Uh, Johnny Smith has two receptions for nine yards, and Ferkser has two receptions for 44 yards. So, one, I mean, and it's always been kind of like that. The problem is just a volume of snaps. It's not an efficiency when targeted. So, and that's what you were saying, but just to kind of crystallize, like, look, this is something that the team was prepared for, especially in the passing game. Like, the, the tight end passing production is not going to go down, or, or at least on a per-target basis. But now it just makes it even easier to open up, you know, maybe, like, like we were talking about slot fades, like maybe it's just deep posts. I, I don't know how they're going to – I mean, Ferks are going to pretty much do all of it, but it's it should help there. One thing that I've been kind of concerned with is Derrick Henry's overall workload – just because a 17-game season is obviously longer, and then with the one only one team in the AFC getting a bye, it's, you have to just assume that you're not going to get a bye just because it's tough to get one. So that means that by the time they play, when the one seed is playing, they'll have 18 games under their belt. The Julio Jones trade could take... Again, I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that there should be a fundamental shift in the offense, but it could take a lot off of Derrick Henry's plate because maybe they give him 20 touches a game instead of 25 touches a game. And maybe Darrington Evans picks up some of that slack, and maybe instead of thinking that their best play is to run Derrick Henry another two or three times, they think, well, why don't we make this a Julio Jones play? Like It gives you another weapon, and the more weapons you have – the less strained everybody else is around you. So it's, you know, it's trickle down effect, whatever you want to call it. But even though I was comfortable with the wide receivers they had, I I think I said last week that I I would give them like a C plus. Like I liked them more than a lot of wide receiving cores that the Titans have had in the past because they had AJ Brown. Like when you have AJ Brown, it changes things. Well, when you have two of that level of guy, then it changes things immensely. So it's just it's so easy to see, you know. Okay, and we've seen this a million times on Twitter. You're a defensive coordinator. How do you stop this? The fact is, there is no there is no right way. Like you play two high safeties, the Titans are going to run on you. You play one safety and then you know bring another guy in the box. Cool, you know they'll try to beat you deep. If you try to play man across the board, it's just the the math never adds up. And what people aren't talking about is. Ryan Tannehill's legs and how much he can do on boot action because if you watch Atlanta last year they tried to do some of that with Matt Ryan for whatever reason and when he would roll out all these big plays would open up down the field that he either didn't have the arm to hit or by the time defenses realized it and started backing up he didn't have the legs to attack once they gave him the space to run so you know it just makes everybody so much more dangerous on the Titans offense. I just can't wait, man. It's going to be so much fun to watch them. And, and, you know, a five wide receiver set for the Titans or a five wide is Julio Jones, uh, Anthony Ferkser, AJ Brown, Josh Reynolds, and Darrington Evans. That's super good. Like, I don't know that there's a, a better crew of five across the league, except in Tampa. That would probably be the one with, you know, theirs would be Gronkowski, Godwin, Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, and then someone else. 
but one of like, their other guys. Yeah, <laughs> they, they've got they've got so many guys <laughs> that just fit in that system. But I mean, even then, you didn't even include Fitzpatrick, who, you know, it, it, you could move him in for Ferkser or for Evans, or you could just put Derrick Henry out there just to say like, who are you going to put on him? Because maybe we'll just throw a screen that way. Yeah. Third downs are going to be. I mean, their third down percentage is going to be incredible. I would think. How funny would it be to see uh, them do that whole wildcat thing with Derrick Henry, but where they go with five wide and put like Tannehill out at one of the receivers and then just <laughs> let Derrick Henry take? It's like, how do you play against that? Because everybody knows Tannehill used to be a wide receiver. Like, you've got to treat him with some level of respect. So it's like Derrick Henry versus a five man box. Like, and you could run that jet motion if you wanted to. Like, that would be. I don't even know what personnel you'd send on the field because if you've got Tannehill out there, then you could just hurry up and run Tannehill back and drop back and run a whole different, you know, just line everybody up in different places and you've got them out of position. Quick quick sidebar before we continue the Julio conversation because you, you were just talking, made me think about this. I was talking to a reporter who has covered the Titans before and uh, he was telling me that he had a conversation with Dick LeBeau one time and, and Dick LeBeau said, you know what I would do if I was an offensive coordinator on fourth and one or third and one every single time? He said, I would run five wide and the quarterback under center. Because if you move off, the quarterback's going to sneak it for the first down, and if you move on, he's going to throw it out wide. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense because but you never it, see it. It makes it impossible. Yeah, you'd have to have like somebody line up in the slot whose only job was to like run and try to break up that slant pass. It, I mean, you would have to cheat somewhere. Yeah, and and again, that's coming yeah. from Dick LeBeau, so it it must <laughs> it it must work. Um, man, I. <laughs> I, I just can't stop gushing about how good this offense is going to be. And, and now I remember the next thing I want to talk about, which is the quarterback, who is sort of the, the top of all of this. Uh, there seems to be an attitude in the national media of, after seeing this news, you know, even Ryan Tannehill can't screw this up. Uh, Ryan Tannehill has been a top five quarterback statistically since becoming the Titans starter. He was a top five, top ten finisher in Hall of Fame, or excuse me, not Hall of Fame, uh, MVP conversation last year. He was probably in the top five. I don't know that they vote like they do in other sports where there's a first and a second and a third, but but he was probably in the top five if there was a vote of that sort. Uh, we've seen the comparisons of his stats next to Patrick Mahomes. No, he is not Patrick Mahomes, but the numbers are eerily similar and yet people are acting like this guy's some sort of a game manager when in reality he's slinging the ball all over the yard. He is the captain of an offense that is predicated on downfield shots, and he's played exceptionally well for the Titans. This isn't even Ryan Tannehill can screw this up. It's, oh my gosh, and they have Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, it's crazy because there are still a lot of like prominent national media members that are still undermining him and, and don't realize how good he actually is. So shout out to the ones who do realize how good he is. Like I saw a tweet from Lewis Riddick 
uh, he, he was citing some stats, and he was like, people don't really understand how good he is. And, and they don't. And, and like uh, writers like Ben Baldwin, who does a lot of analytics stuff, he's been he's been campaigning for Ryan Tannehill to be like a legitimate MVP candidate uh, for the last two seasons. So some people do see it. But the problem is some people just can't get it out of their head that Tannehill wasn't all that great in Miami and they can't separate the player from the situation, even though it's been it's been over two years since he's been there and he's a completely different player. He's been one of the five to seven best quarterbacks in the NFL for the last two seasons. And I just can't I can't wait can't wait to watch him because he's really fun to watch and he's become such a good quarterback and with the tools at his disposal, I mean he might be better than last year, which I didn't think would be possible, but he's got better options at his disposal, and it's going to be awesome to watch. And I think he had like seven rushing touchdowns last year or something like that. He, something like he that, can, yeah. He can eat on some of these read options uh, or, or some of these bootlegs or, or, or whatever because all of these other weapons are going to be taking up a lot of attention and a lot of space, and we've seen how mobile and how athletic Tannehill has been in the past, uh, especially on some of these read options where he keeps himself and everyone is focused on Derrick Henry. Like, he could have one of his better rushing seasons of his career, without a doubt. Yeah, like, the the problem is John Robinson is going to end up doing such a good job that Tannehill never gets the credit he deserves because Robinson's never going to put him in a situation where he's undermanned. Like, you know, that that's, that's almost the problem of having a great general manager is everybody's going to say, yeah, well, I mean, when Tannehill played, that's when Corey Davis was really starting to find his rhythm and he had AJ Brown for two years and then he got Julio Jones. It's like, yeah, like those guys didn't fall out of the tree. Like those were guys that they spent, you know, first or second round draft picks on, and they were also behind a well-equipped offensive line to protect Tannehill. You know, it 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 almost sucks because somebody there's always somebody trying to take credit away from the people who deserve it when really you're just a perfect player in a perfect situation like Tannehill is. Not perfect player, obviously, but he's the right player for this situation and the good general manager and Arthur Smith last year and hopefully downing this year have molded their offense to fit the most important player and also to help and say, Oh yeah. And had Derrick Henry who rushed for 2000 yards one year. And you know, people will never give him the credit for the first four weeks of the season when Derrick Henry was averaging like three and a half yards per carry. And it was Tannehill that would have to dig him out of so many third nines and so, you know, so many plays where, if you're not hitting the runs early, you kind of put your quarterback in a terrible situation. But he's never going to get credit for a 12-yard pass because Derrick Henry's always going to have a 40-yard run that shows up on the highlights. And everybody says, well, Derrick Henry's so good. How could you go wrong with him? And you know, we've talked about it before, but we saw how it could go wrong because they had Derrick Henry for, what was it, two or three years before Tannehill took over. Like, we know how bad that can go. So, I, I don't know, like... I hate it for Tannehill, although he seems content. And hopefully, you know, last year there were several people that doubted him. And I don't don't know if he cares. You would think athletes care to some extent. But some of those people have converted over and said, okay, 
you know, he's the real deal. Like, I think uh, we included were interested to see how Tannehill worked out, and he worked out even better than we thought uh, going from 19 to 20. So hopefully if he does that from 20 to 21, people will stop saying, yeah, but Tannehill's going to screw this up. And they'll say, you know, well, like, you know, Tannehill's good in this offense with all these weapons. And eventually they'll look back and say, oh, you know, he was actually really good. So, I mean, a victim of circumstance and being in a good situation, but it's a good problem to have. Well, Will, Will, you bring up an interesting point. You're like, you know, and Tannehill doesn't seem to mind that he's not the, you know, media favorite or whatever. There's no egos in this offense at all. I mean, Julio Jones is the most anti-diva receiver maybe ever. And then you have A.J. Brown who's got some swagger and personality to him, but he's a very selfless guy. Tannehill doesn't care. Derrick Henry is is maybe the most selfless player I've ever seen or watched. Hates talking about himself. Always wants to deflect attention to other people. And that has a lot to do with this. Like, I was seeing some nonsense out there yesterday um, about, you know, well, how's Julio going to feel about getting less targets? I don't think he cares, buddy. I, 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 don't, I don't think he cares. He's going to get his due because he's Julio freaking Jones. He may not get 130 targets like that one year in Atlanta, or, or however, 160 or however many it was that one year. I'm going to look that up. But he wants to win games, and he wants to be a part of the winning. And he will be both of those things uh, in Tennessee. Sorry, my mic was muted. I don't really, I, I don't understand that at all. I mean, he's he's been playing with Calvin Ridley for three years. Calvin Ridley's target numbers for the past three seasons have been 92, 93, and then last year, 143, mostly because Julio was injured for, for the better part of the season, uh, and Ridley did take that next step. But 92 and 93 targets, like that's a good amount of targets that, that the alpha wide receiver and Julio Jones is sharing with someone else. And Julio Jones never complained. Like, ask any Falcons fan. He was the consummate professional, and all he really cared about was winning. Uh, and, like, how, how many targets has A.J. Brown gotten over the last two seasons? It's not that Very much many. more. Than, yeah, it's not that much more than Ridley's 92 and 93 from 2018 and 2019. So it's, it's not like Julio Jones is, is going to have such a diminished target share that he's going to be, you know, so upset about it. Uh, and I think I, I think a lot of fans, uh, not necessarily Titans fans, just fans in general, uh, they think these wide receivers are divas because they're not getting targets and they might be mad uh, about it. But really, they're mad because they want to win. And they think that the best way to win is to feed them. And most of the time, they're right. Like, we saw that happen so many times with A.J. Green. Why was he, like, uh, in a lot of uh, post-game press conferences, he was just like, I, I just need someone to get me the ball. Because he knows that if he gets the ball, they're going to be in a better position to win. That's just how these guys are wired. And most of the time, they're right. So I, I think there has to be a clear distinction between uh, between those two things. Yeah, and I'm not going to dive too much into this because you said a lot of what I was going to say. Um, the only other thing I'll add is this is, uh, again, the perfect fit for Julio Jones because he doesn't have to be the NFL's leading receiver like he was. I, I don't know if it was the same year when they went to the Super Bowl or not, but 
I mean, he's done that. Like it, it, everybody knows he could do it and he, you know, in his prime, he could do it, whether he's in his prime still or not. It doesn't really matter at this point because he saw that even if he pads the stats, all he's remembered for, you know, on a macro level is the 28 to three from that season. So I, I, I don't, I don't think he would care too much about that. And the Titans are the perfect situation for that because they're not going to force feed him 10 to 12 targets a game and say, okay, we traded for you now be our number one wide receiver or else everybody's going to scream how you're a bust. Like he gets to share those duties. He gets to pick up a lot of the volume left behind by Corey Davis and John Smith in the passing game. Like it, he won't be asked to do too much, but he also won't need to speak up too loud to get fed. Like it's, it's sort of the perfect role. And I I don't know how much this factors into it, but he's also, you know, close to where he's always been. He's in the South. He's close to Alabama. Like Tennessee's got a huge Alabama fan base. Like it's not like he's going to a group of people that doesn't know that haven't followed him for the last 15 years and who don't really respect him. And, you know, people uh, knock on wood, but I mean, people aren't going to start booing Julio Jones. Like, I mean, it, Titans fans are not like, well, this isn't the guy we thought we were getting. I mean, uh, this it's going to be the same people who were screaming for Derrick Henry to get in when he was a rookie and had never shown anything. Like, uh, that he's going to be beloved by this fan base, so he won't feel the pressure to be, you know, 26-year-old Julio Jones. He won't need to because this team has the weapons to make it a – highly successful offense even with him just doing what he can do and I don't know if there's a sense of relief in that or something that dulls the ego down but this locker room is not built around divas and Robinson wouldn't have traded a second round pick and Vrabel and Robinson wouldn't have called up Nick Saban and talked to him like they wouldn't have done all that research if they weren't comfortable with the guy he's going to be so I think that's all way overblown uh, I looked up the number of targets from that crazy Julio season in 2015. 203 targets, 136 receptions, 1,871 receiving yards. That's an average of 117 yards a game. I'm like waiting for a reaction to those I mean, astronomically I think insane he, I numbers. Think he, averaged like 95 yards a game like just over the course of his career like the insane thing is that that's a huge number but it's not even that far from his career average like think about how crazy that is like if he let's just say he hits his career average this year and it's at 95 yards a game like that's what 1680 or something like that like in in a 17 game season like I, I, i mean that's just his career average. Yeah, it's it's ninety five yards, ninety five point five yards per game. That's his career average. I'm pretty sure he's like the leader in yards per game in NFL history, or or, or at least second or something like that. Like, I, I know people understand how good he is, but he is legitimately a first ballot Hall of Famer. It's it's honestly crazy, and the yeah. fact that he's even on the team at thirty two. Even being at 32 is just it's awesome. So I, I was thinking yesterday, I was like, is he a Hall of Fame guy? I mean, he's really, really good. So I was at lunch, and I pulled up the stats that I'm looking at right now, his career stats. And after about two seconds of looking, I was like, oh, yeah. 
Uh, yeah. He is. He's a Hall of Famer. Uh-huh. Yep. So he, he is first in yards per game with 95.5. The second is Calvin Johnson with 86.1. Yeah. <laughs> I yep. mean, that's absurd. Yep. He, he's a Hall of Famer, all right. Um, One more quick question before I, w- I want to move on to one, la- one other topic before we do stop the nonsense. Uh, are the Titans Super Bowl contenders now? Because I had this debate last week or two weeks ago about would Julio make the Titans Super Bowl contenders? And I tend to lean yes, though I am hesitant because though I'm optimistic about the defense, I need to see it before I put my money where my mouth is. Yes. I'm going to say yes, because they they weren't Super Bowl contenders last year, and I'm pretty sure we talked about it throughout the season towards the latter half of the season that the defense was just going to hold them back. But the defense should be better than last year. I think they will be. They have better players, uh, and there have to be there has to be changes uh, by the coaching staff in terms of scheme and, and how they're going to play. Uh, and the offense should be just as good, if not better, because they're, they're they have more talent there. So uh, I think they should be. I, I think they are Super Bowl contenders. Yeah, last year I think uh, I'll just speak for myself. I thought they were the most balanced and best offense in the NFL when everybody was healthy. I, I think they had two. You know, a wide receiver core that was great. They had they had Johnny Smith. They had Derrick Henry. Like, I think it's pretty hard to argue that there's a more balanced offense out there. Um, and I think they've the only real important change they made is they changed from Corey Davis to Julio Jones. So, I expect that offense to stay at a very very high level. And they won eleven games with a kicker who couldn't make half of his kicks and a defense who, you know, was historically bad now i don't know if the kicker situation will get fixed but i know that the defense it, only one defense has ever been that bad in the history of the nfl i would be shocked if it happens twice if you spent so much money on it yeah so th- then it kind of turns into how good does that defense have to be for the 2020 offense to get to the super bowl and i mean you can debate that it's it's hard to say like they beat the Ravens and Bills last year. Like they just beat them in the regular season and didn't get a chance to play the Bills in the playoffs. Like that, I mean, there's some relevance to that. And then Kansas City, they beat in the regular season two years ago and lost to them in the playoffs. So, and then they beat them the time before that. So, I mean, there's no big bad wolf in the AFC anymore for the Titans. Like they they've beaten all the guys that are sitting at the top. They've beaten the Chiefs with Holmes. They've beaten the Ravens with Lamar Jackson. Like they've done all that. It's just can they do it in the right order? And if that's the question, is can you beat them in this order and not can you beat them? Then I think the answer has to be yes. I I lied. I said I had one more topic. I actually have two. I want to start with this. Shane Bowen talked to the media last week for the first time since taking over as defensive coordinator. And I think we all three had the same takeaway from what he said, which is that he was kind of the fall guy last year, right? I mean, he certainly had his problems. He was the play caller, and and things didn't go well, and, and he has responsibility for that. 
But he was talking last week about, well, thank goodness, now I have the final say, and now I'm the one that's going to be controlling things. And also, a realization we had last week on the podcast that he addressed, Bowen did, he he was only with the outside linebackers at practice last year because he was the outside linebackers coach. So now he gets to develop relationships with everyone. And not that he didn't know the players he was coaching, but he wasn't developing relationships with them. He wasn't working with them at practice. He was just coaching Harold Landry and Tazar Skipper. Uh, So all of that to say, I am a little more optimistic about Shane Bowen than I was before hearing that press conference. The one thing that holds me back, though, is he kept talking about, and he said it, I think, three times. He said, you know, we need to figure out what these players do well and then uh, and then do those things. You know, that's one thing we're working really hard on. And my thought when I kept hearing that was, did, did that, like, just now occur to you that that was something that needed to happen? So there's still, like, some rudimentary things happening in that department. But I think now that we know a little bit more of the picture, he still deserves a lot of the blame, but he also deserves a little bit more benefit of the doubt than what I or we were giving him. Yeah, I'm still skeptical, but we, we talked about a little bit last pod, pod you just talked about it now, uh, but I'll just read the quote. This, this is out to me the most. It, it's definitely changed Bowen said of his role, just the position, the title, the stuff that comes with it, having control over the whole unit. My perspective on everything, making sure we are all on the same page, seeing things the same way, ultimately being the final voice. That having control over the whole unit, I mean, to me, is huge. The fact that he didn't have it last year is absolutely absurd to me that this was the guy who was calling plays and he wasn't working with every single position group in order to get on the same page. Like, that's crazy to me. And it's... It falls back on Mike Rabel for not giving him that control or being unclear about what his role was uh, and just everything that, that came along with, with, with all of that. I, I think it was, like I said last week, it just Mike Rabel just completely botched that entire situation. I hope they get it fixed this year. I'm still skeptical of whether Shane Bowen will actually be a good defensive coordinator, but he has enough talent in order to have a much better defense than last year. And if it doesn't improve a lot, or at least a good amount, we'll know that he is definitely not the answer at that position. Yeah, this, this was uh, my stop the nonsense, so I'm going to have to scramble a little bit. But it, the the fact that well, you, we You are... can save it. You can save it. Okay, well, then I'll... We'll get to that in a, in a quick second. One other thing before we do stop the nonsense I want to talk about. We've talked about the major victory of, of John Robinson. I want to talk about something weird John Robinson did recently. They signed Adam Coons. Or, is it Coon or Coons? I can't remember. Uh, Coon, no uh, idea. Coon. Committed Coon. It is Adam Coon. So, first of all, Kevin Johnson retired, 28-year-old recent first-round draft pick of the Houston Texans. That was weird. But then also they signed Adam Kuhn, who has never played football at above a high school level. He last played football in, in I think, 2013, and he's a wrestler. He failed to qualify for the Olympics, got close, 
And so now he will be in camp, presumably, with the Titans at offensive line. Uh, it doesn't say whether he's a tackle or a guard. It just says offensive line. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the whole, I'm really, really good at this sport, so now I'm going to go try this other one. I don't know. I, like, And my main question, and this isn't a criticism of John Robinson per se, but I will say this. I think a lot of people saw this, and I don't hate it. It's not like I'm sitting here being like, this makes me mad. I just like, I'm like, okay, it probably won't work out. Like, this is a little weird. But a lot of people's reaction was like, oh, yeah, man, this will be fun. And, and my response to that is, okay, okay, where was that energy when the Jags signed Tim Tebow? Because this is literally the same thing. The Jags signing Tim Tebow to play a position he'd never played before. And now the Titans are signing someone to play a sport he has uh, not played really. He, so Adam Coons hasn't played football since Tim Tebow played football in the NFL. And Adam Coons played in high school. And Tim Tebow has won an NFL playoff game. Like, these are the same situations to me, No. I mean, this is like when I think it was the Jaguars. They signed some rugby player uh, to, to to play. I don't know what position, like special teams. I think he played one game, and that was it. He just they, they th- cut him uh, because he was good. Are you thinking good. of the Forty ers guy? I can't remember his name. He wore thirty. Yeah, it was Niners. It I'm was googling it. Forty ers rugby. He was a running back. Jared Hain was his name. He sucked. He sucked. <laughs> Also, yeah. I don't like this guy's. This guy's got to put on weight. Like, uh, I'm reading, he's like, I don't know what one one place says 265 pounds. Another says he was in the 130 kilogram weight class, which would have been some like 285 pounds. The email I'm reading from the Titans says six five three hundred. Okay, well, he put on some weight, or it's a fake weight. I don't know, but I'm not expecting much from this guy. I, 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 fans always do this, especially football fans. They just get excited about if, whatever signing a team makes, and I don't think this guy will, will do much of anything. So Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm pres- wrong. Presuming he was 18 when he graduated high school in 2013, he's now 26 years old. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, this, it's not the same thing to Tim Te- as Tim Tebow to me because Tim Tebow has a cult following that will always love him. Like, it, you're you're bringing on that baggage to a team that doesn't yeah. need to be under the microscope and has already been at fault for doing a bunch of stupid stuff that doesn't really scream NFL. It's like amateur amateur hour. Like. They were on AEW's wrestling thing, like we talked about, like where uh, Urban Meyer was like, whoa, y'all are in my office. I'm trying to plan stuff up. Like all this dumb shtick to get attention. Like they're already a joke as a franchise. Like you don't want you, you want to be seen as a real football team. So <laughs> when you bring in somebody like that who's and you switch in positions like it, it's it, that to me is inherently look at me. I want attention, please. The Titans are giving a guy in the middle of June a tryout at, at a position they're already stacked at, and they'll probably just look at him to put him on practice squad. Like, it, th- this is probably something where they're like, I wonder if this guy can do anything in three years. Like, this is probably not, we're going to give this guy a three year deal and we're going to pay him a million dollars a year. Like, 
it, at worst, he's like a guy they cut. At best, he's a depth guy that's on the practice squad. You know, whatever. So, like, it's not that big of a deal. Like, if you cut Tim Tebow, you've got to answer the question of why did you bring him in in the first place? You knew he was going to be raw at tight end because he never played it. Like, it just it, it's it's different from a PR perspective. Real quick on Jared Hain, the 49ers guy. When I Googled him, the first thing that came up is that uh, a little under a month ago in Sydney, he was uh, found guilty of two counts of sexual assault and will now spend the next four years in prison. So there you have oh. that. Yeah, there's there's your happy thought for the day. There yeah. you go. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> happy thoughts only here. And I guess, Will, to your point also, like Mike Vrabel's not bringing in Kuhn to like mold the locker room together or be a leader. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm sure we'll see some pictures whenever they get back on the field and people are allowed to go out there and, and take pictures, but you're not going to have a media circus talking about how big Tim Tebow or Coon's arms are like yeah. for like three straight days because of one clip that somebody took from their it's not phone. It's not going to be me, I'll tell you that much. i got better things to do than at those things than follow Adam Coon around, or Coons, whatever his name is. I'm handling this very professionally. I don't even know what his name is. All right. Time for Stop the Nonsense. Will, you teased yours a moment ago, so you start us off, please. Yeah, okay. So my Stop the Nonsense is obviously has to do with Shane Bowen and this whole press conference. I, I did not mind the press conference. I thought it was it was better than I expected. He gave kind of clear and concise answers on how he wants to be more aggressive, why they would use man coverage, all those things that I talked about before, which is good. But he said that quote that we were just talking about where he's quote unquote, ultimately the final voice on defense for the first time. And my stop the nonsense is I wish they would have a joint press conference with Mike Vrabel and Shane Bowen, and they would come out and say, okay, what were your responsibilities with the defense last never year? Never. What happen. were your responsibilities? No, of course Mike Vrabel was, would never the, do that. No, he barely wants to admit that his legal name is Mike Vrabel. Like he would not <laughs> give his own name out to the press if he didn't have to. Like, but the point is, like, it, he gave this whole big uh, Vrabel did gave this whole big speech at the end of the year about how it shouldn't have been a, such a big deal that he didn't officially announce a defensive coordinator and all this stuff. It's quotes like this that make me feel like they still haven't figured out the situation. Like it, you can't be Mike Vrabel and say, you know, Shane was the defensive coordinator. Like you can't say that at the end of the year and then also tell him that his duties have changed and that now he's finally the ultimate final voice because it's mixed messages. If it's not him having the same job, I just I, I hate all this cloak and dagger nonsense that that Mike Vrabel insists on you know putting his team in the middle of. I it's just so stupid. It it reeks of a middle school kid who's like, I did maybe I didn't. It's like just admit what you did. Tell everybody what their job like. Just like thirty one other teams like give give basically a list or just a short summation of what your job titles are supposed to like what your responsibility should include so that you don't have to answer these questions. And that's so I don't have to read these quotes for the next three years until you finally break down and do it. It's so annoying. Okay. 
mine is not football related. Um, I'm going to your neck of the woods, Matias, to Buena Vista, Florida. Lake Buena Vista, Florida. Where is this the lady? No. The lady in the. Oh my God, because there was a lady in a restaurant who was completely naked and throwing (laughs) all of the bottles. I don't know what it was after. I thought it was that one. Sorry. No, it's not. That's great, though. I'm glad I know that now. Um, So I see this tweet from. it It was shared to my page or my timeline. Uh, from Walt Disney World News Today, which is not affiliated with Disney World, I don't think. It's just a uh, like a, a news site dedicated to, to news about Disney World. And they posted today um, that at, at the Wilderness Lodge, which I assume is part of the Disney World Resort, they are having character meet and greets at this lodge which apparently haven't been happening for some time because of the coronavirus, except, and these pictures I'm looking at are just like oddly dystopian. I see, the punchline is the characters are behind a door, a glass door with like bars and lines up the middle of it. And then there are these kids wearing masks standing on the inside of the door communicating with this character through the door. It looks like, I'm looking at this thing, it looks like Goofy and Pluto are in prison talking to these children through, through like, the cell wall. It is very odd. And, like, maybe, like, you know, or definitely, like, you know, six months ago this would have made sense. I mean, it's still a little weird. Like, one of these pictures has a family taking photos of them and Pluto through the jail cell wall. Like, I don't know why this is necessary now. Like, you want to talk about wearing a mask? These costumes are like, have to be the greatest masks on planet Earth, am I right? So, I don't know, this all just looks very strange to me, and really weird. That, I mean, I'm going to send you guys these pictures, and, and y'all tell me what you think. I think th- this is fitting in the category of things that, like, are a little over the top as far as COVID is concerned, especially with the recent guidance of the CDC that vaccinated people don't have to wear masks anymore. So especially if, you know, Goofy and Pluto are vaccinated or Mickey Mouse or whoever, this is just a little strange. Did y'all see the pictures? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. this looks like they're in a zoo. It looks like they are the animals <laughs> in a zoo. So I was I was not on board with your whole take at first, uh, just because I was like, yeah, but I have a kid and kids are gross. Like, you know, you don't want them touching you as, as much as you can. But what's going on is, and Luke didn't say this, they're stuck out on a balcony. So they're <laughs> yeah. behind locked glass doors out on the balcony, and they're both grabbing the bars of the door. Like <laughs> it's like if you locked Disney characters out of your hotel, and they're like trying to get in. Like it's it's very weird. It's like actually terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're not aggressive. There's one picture where Goofy has his head cocked back, and he looks scared. And it's hard for a like a molded mask to show emotion, but he looks like he's like. If somebody doesn't let me in, I don't know how much longer I'll make it out here. Like, it's crazy. So, like, just in general, I get it. But, have, like, once you see the pictures, it will freak you out. Yeah, it's less of, and we'll retweet this. It's less, 
you know, is this really necessary with COVID? And more of, this is just weird. Yeah, so if you see this, these pictures and you're like, why did they retweet these pictures 12 hours ago? <laughs> and then you listen to the podcast. This is why, like, we'll, we'll have to hashtag it with, like, Luke's, like, STN or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Or STD or something. I don't know what we'll do. Uh, but I think that would be a funnier hashtag. But the, this, like, you have to see the picture to understand what Luke is talking about. Yeah, without a doubt. Also, it is hot in Florida, like very hot. And the fact that these guys are forced to sit out there is kind of is awful. But whatever. What can you do? It's their job. Uh, I'll, I'll finish up with mine. It, I'm going back to football, even though that was a fantastic stop to nonsense. That was those pictures were incredible. And I, I'm glad I've been to to Orlando. I need a I need to experience that for myself. I might have to take a trip up there soon. Get so, your picture my, through the door with Goofy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't do... Actually, that also reminds me, like... Well, this isn't really... I guess this is kind of a stop the nonsense also. That social distancing thing, they're still doing that for, like, post-game interviews. And I, I think it was the other day. I think it was a, an NBA game. The reporter was, like, on one sideline, and the person getting interviewed was on the other sideline. And so I'm like... stupid. Come on, dude. Like, what are we doing here? I, base, I understand. Base, like, don't... Baseball is letting, or MLB is letting vaccinated reporters on the field to interview players now. Fine. That's perfectly and fine. But Yeah. The NFL is not going to let y'all back in, right? Like, they're, they're just not going to let y'all be in the locker room? <laughs> A lot of that is to be determined. Um, yeah, locker room access kind of is not, I, I can confirm that locker room access is not looking very good. However, it is also probable it's going to be somewhere between that and last year. It's not going to be Zoom only. It just might not be us in the locker room. The lock reporting is kind of, I don't know. I find it a little weird. It's a little invasive. No, I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to finally do my stop announces. So it's about this Duke Manyweather guy who is a proclaimed. Uh, o-line analyst nfl o-line analyst he got into it with pete prisco from cb who has his own faults you know who's kind of annoying sometimes but he came out with like a top 100 players list and a lot of people didn't like his the old the offensive lineman where they were ranked and and who he put on that top 100 list uh so duke Mannyweather says the list is trash and pete prisco responds love to see all the experts chiming chiming in you guys are entitled to your wrong opinions hilarious and then people like start to come to this duke manyweather guy's defense and one of them uh josh cohen uh underscore nfl says pete are you aware that duke manyweather is actually literally an nfl o-line expert first of all what do you mean how can you literally be an 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 o-line expert how can you literally be an expert in anything unless you're like a doctor or a scientist i don't i don't understand that like there's so many different uh viewpoints in terms of how players play the position and stuff like that so that was weird and then some other guys like duke could work for just about any team in the nfl as an o-line coach pick your battles pete this one ain't it and then later on it's unbelievable and then later on they keep going at it and then pete prisco responds with like Aren't you the guy that thinks Cam Robinson from the Jaguars is really good? 
And Duke Manyweather says, solid as hell. Uh, and <laughs> someone else responds, yeah, he saw it. Their right tackle is awesome, too. And Duke Manyweather responds, yeah, man, two young, talented offensive tackles. Wrong. That's wrong. Pete Prisco responds, neither was good last year. And then all the Jaguars fans come out, and they're like, yeah, those guys those guys suck. They're really not good at all. So he just, like, completely got exposed within the middle of the, of the whole argument. Uh, I found that really funny because those Jaguars offensive linemen are not good at all. Uh, and even PFF. PFF has, like, sub-60 grades apiece. So I don't understand what this O-line expert uh, is amazing at, but he clearly isn't that amazing. This has been fun. Like, I, I was sitting there during the week thinking, like, man, I have all these things I want to talk about, especially after the Shane Bowen press conference, so I'm glad we got to do this. Uh, unfortunately, I will be out of pocket next week, so, I mean, even if the Titans trade for the ghost of Calvin Johnson next week, we, we still won't be able to record. Uh, but this has been fun. And the Titans are good. You love to see it. Yeah. yeah. It's always fun to have stuff to talk about. When they trade for O.J. Howard because he's been working out with Derrick Henry, we'll, we'll have to like figure out some form of communication. Like I'll just pretend to be Luke. <laughs> I, I don't want to hear that. Um, that, that <laughs> I love Harold Landry would be the just, first thing you would say. No, it should be like, oh, Harold Landry sucks. Uh, Corey Davis, not as good as you think. Uh, also, this is my opinion on O.J. Howard. Like, it would just be like the opposite <laughs> of whatever I would say. Guys, come on, come on. No fighting. We got Julio, okay? That's true. <laughs> the unifying force. All right, and until next time, whenever next time is, uh, for Will and Matias, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.